Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the FSR Energy Podcast. My name is James Nebon. I'm here with Patricia Oglarova of ENSOG. She's the uh, Regulatory Affairs Manager at ENSOG. And today she's going to be talking to us a little bit about the new hydrogen infrastructure map launched this week. Uh, good afternoon, Patricia. Thanks for joining me. Uh, hi, James. Good afternoon to all. So we're here today to talk a little bit about this uh, hydrogen infrastructure map. Just uh, very generally, it's uh, an interactive tool that allows people to um, see the different projects that are at a mature stage and an advanced stage based on uh, repurposed infrastructure or new infrastructure according to different timelines, 2030, 2040, 2050. And it's uh, somewhat of a evolution of the um, Repower EU hydrogen corridors map that looks a little bit more concretely at what we're already seeing on the ground. That's sort of my uh, outsider's characterization, but I leave it with Patricia to give us some more background information. Thank you, James, and happy to be here to provide some further insights on the map and on the processes and on the sort of aim we were going for with this map. So I would start already in May, maybe this year, where there was a matter form uh, where we were given this mandate by the European Commission and not just ANSOG, but other six um, in total, six associations. Uh, it was also GIE, Eurogas, actually for Geode, where we were mandated to really prepare and visualize um, all the different infrastructure projects in a, in a form of a map. So we got together and uh, we prepared uh, the terms of reference and we decided how this map would look like. We really wanted to include uh, projects in the different timestamps to show the development of the grids and development of the of the infrastructure projects but also include the production and demand projects. So really provide a holistic picture. And the map is uh, interactive, as you mentioned. It's a publicly available map uh, with um, all the information that you can access by just clicking on the project, you get the information. Also, sometimes the commissioning year, uh, the volumes and the incremental capacity, for example, which I think the other maps don't have. And indeed, looking at also specificities of the project. So is it uh, repurposed? Is it newly built? Is it a mix of, of, of the two? And uh, on the storages, we even go a bit further and look at the different types of storages. So I think it does provide quite a detailed picture. And indeed, it was done in collaboration with the other associations and together also in cooperation with EHB. So it's building a little bit on the, what EHB has done um, this year and in the past years. Perfect. Thank you very much. That's a, that's a really nice overview. So it sounds like there's been a lot of collaboration required. There's obviously a huge amount of data here. You said you already began in May. Um, how good would you say of an indication this data is of how well the projects are evolving? Has it been challenging to get this data as there are certain areas with uh, stronger information than others? And moving forward, do you see this as uh, something that you, you see that there will be an evolution and things to improve or you've been happy with how this process has gone? So in terms of uh, the data collection process, um, we were building as ENSOC, uh, we have quite a, I would, get, I would say, good uh, know-how on how this goes in terms of planning. So we're building on uh, the TYNDP project data. So this year uh, we are collecting um, projects, hydrogen projects uh, for the TMT 2022. And based on this, we basically included all these projects here in the map. 
Um, of course, we are working on this in collaboration with the other associations. So we had quite a good data uh, on the DSO side for the respective uh, distribution projects. And uh, also with GIE, which have some good data on the storage uh, projects. Um, so indeed a collaboration. And uh, the idea is, um, of course, to further work and further uh, enhance the information that is in the map, I would say, because uh, it's just a first iteration, providing sort of the first initial uh, picture uh, based on the data we have. But in the future, we want to uh, expand it, especially, I would say, on the production and demand side. So include specifically projects there, because as you know, we are transmission system operators, so we don't really collect production or demand projects. Uh, but we do have some already here in this in this first iteration of, of the map. And yes, uh, complex process, but I would say that it was successful and we delivered quite quickly, I would say. Uh, looking at the first mandate we got in May, now we are in December and you can already see the first iteration of the map. Uh, the idea is to update it with um, also other projects, uh, especially we want to provide these synergies with the Clean Hydrogen Alliance projects, because this is, I think, a great platform where they already collected the projects uh, for their investment pipeline. Uh, but of course, uh, there was um, there are some issues with confidentiality, right? So this map is a publicly available information. It has there. So uh, for the Clean Energy Alliance, we had to discuss uh, with especially the GGRO and the Commission how we can include these projects. So it's on in the pipeline, I would say, to do it for Q1 and, and expand. So yes, indeed, the it's a live map. It will be updated. It will be a live exercise. Okay, super. And I would really encourage our listeners to go check it out. For hydrogen nerds like myself, it's really a pleasure to have something uh, sort of, shall we say, physical that you can interact with, see the different volumes anticipated, for example. I didn't know that, uh, just to give an example, that you might consider using storages with a mix of natural gas and hydrogen. This may seem stupid, but for me, this was new information. So there's all these kind of... Um, different little uh, pieces of the story that you get to uh, uh, sort of understand in more detail and in a more practical sense by going and interacting with the tool. So I would really encourage people to go and, and play around with it. I, I was just wondering what sort of functions did you intend to it, for it to serve to uh, the wider public? Because as you said, it's publicly available. It's not just uh, some kind of uh, concrete tool you're putting together for the commission or for your members. So was there some kind of um, you know underlying motivation for how you think it could be applied or maybe help catalyze new projects or give a, a more concrete vision? Yes, thank you, James. Um, so I would say that the, it's, the MAD itself has also this feature of, of regional, providing a regional picture, right? Uh, sort of what's the status in, in the respective member state, of course. Uh, looking at the different geographies, some of the member states are just uh, progressing a little bit quicker than the others. But it also could provide information for uh, the respective um, off-takers. So where they could see where the grid is developing, uh, how they can maybe connect to it uh, eventually, and uh, what are specifically in their region, um, uh, the current projects which, which are in the pipeline. So I think it's, of course, for the European Commission, for the policymakers to, to provide this, this picture, but uh, also in the regional elements, you can really see what type of projects there are. Yeah. You can plan and you can use this information. So I think that, that would kind of summarize that. 
Yes, indeed. That that really makes a lot of sense, this uh, regional aspect and planning and to give, as you say, an impression of the different speeds of different regions, shall we say, and how quickly they're going. I can't help but when I look at the map, reflect a little bit on the relationship between the repurposed infrastructure, the new infrastructure, and yeah, think a little bit about the traditional NSOG maps that we see many of us have on our walls in the office that cover this spider's web of natural gas infrastructure across Europe. It's really incredibly comprehensive. We have a huge amount of asset there. And um, yes, by comparison, of course, this new hydrogen infrastructure map is in its infancy and it looks much smaller, as you would imagine, and as we expect the sector to build out. But thinking about this relationship between the these two uh, sets of infrastructure, shall we say, how do you see the reduction in gas volumes from certain pieces of infrastructure making way for new hydrogen volumes or, for example, a duplication of infrastructure where you have parallel pipelines, these kind of aspects as being key variables in deciding I don't know, which, uh, uh, which uh, route is chosen, shall we say, for, for hydrogen molecules in these new projects. Do you see any specific examples of where repurposing is particularly attractive or unattractive? Or is it really this overriding imperative of, you know, wherever the cheap molecules are from, we'll find a way to get them to where the demand centers are and this, uh, yeah, um, this, this dual infrastructure that exists or a question of repurposing or new pipelines is not the decisive factor. Could you just speak a little bit to that? Sure. Thank you, James. Um, so I would just start maybe first off with um, that is cost, more cost efficient, of course, to, to repurpose existing infrastructure assets. Um, uh, than to build a new one. Uh, according to some studies, uh, actually, it's uh, the cost is up to 90% lower than the cost of building new hydrogen pipelines. So in our map, we do include both. And as I would again say, it depends on regional specificities, yeah? Because as you mentioned, um, and also it depends on where you have the locations of the respective renewable energy sources, right? So be it uh, abundance of, of solar power, abundance of wind power, and where also you have these access points for imports, right? And how quickly those are developing and what, what's, the, what's the sort of progress there and what's the plan to... Uh, plant uh, processes. So I would say it depends on those two elements. And in terms of uh, geographies, yes, indeed. I mean, if you look at the north, for example, you have the North Sea where you have the wind power, which is quite strong, right? You have the huge development in the ports there as well. Um, so I would say, especially for Belgium, Belgium already released this new strategy, I would say renewed hydrogen strategy in October. And they're looking at specifically this North Sea route uh, and also the shipping route, of course, in addition to that, also the southern route. But for them, I think the most promising is really to import. And then they're looking at importing um, specifically the hydrogen derivatives via ship. Mm -hmm. So looking at the, the port uh, facilities, the terminals there. And for them, it's just the most competitive option. You know, So it really uh, is um, looking at the cost issues uh, and you also have to plan it in advance. So national planning is very key. And um, for other countries, for example, Netherlands, as you mentioned, the parallel pipelines, indeed, I mean, they're planning it in stages, looking first at development of the industrial clusters, connecting the industrial clusters, and then going for this sort of back mode in Netherlands. Uh, they really look at, um, I think, repurposing 85% of the national network. 
Um, so it's quite a large number, but indeed they do have these parallel pipelines which they can, you know, repurpose and use. So there are different examples of that. I would maybe also stress one more, which is I think a little bit omitted sometimes, is the Eastern Corridor, which indeed um, depends again on the situation in Ukraine, where you have this sort of production of hydrogen there, and it will flow then through, uh, for example, um, Slovakia, then to Czech Republic or Austria, and then to Germany. But uh, here that we also have some parallel pipelines. So this can be used. So hence, again, the repurposing element. But uh, in some countries or regions, for example, uh, looking then maybe at the Nordic Baltic, side, you have um, the Botnian Bay, again, huge major wind uh, source available there to produce hydrogen. And they're a little bit looking uh, mostly on newly built uh, hydrogen infrastructure. So depending on the region, depending on their, um, of course, economic situation, looking at cost-benefit analysis, you know, and uh, the cost issues, they are deciding how to proceed on that. All right, super. Very, very interesting. And I think one of the cool things about having a map like this and helps us try and see the hydrogen sector is like a little bit more real because we all talk extensively and spend enormous amounts of time on this subject, but actually there's not that much that's necessarily really there yet. So I think a map goes a long way uh, to helping us imagine in more concrete terms how things are looking like they're evolving. And to that point, I would just ask you as a, you know, your impression, having worked very closely on this subject, do you see any big holes, shall we say? Because we talk a lot about the value chain, the need for having this production, the uh, the transmission distribution and the offtake, you know, all of these components coming online at, you know, very similar times in order to make it make it function and make it cost effective. Now we have something on, you know, paper in inverted commas. Have there been any big shocks or surprises where you think... Uh, Oh, we could really actually do with having a bit of storage here, or we could do with having a bit of offtake here, or a supply here, something like this. For me, not really. But uh, then I was also quite uh, quite diverse on what EHB has done before, right? So um, a lot of it um, is 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 I would say quite clear uh, how the corridors could potentially look like. But the issue here, I would say, is with timing because. Um, of course, uh, a lot of the projects in the 2030 are quite advanced, uh, but there are still some bottlenecks uh, for those projects to be realized. Yeah? Um, I'm not going to talk about funding, but of course, funding is, is one of them. But mostly, number one that everybody tells you is the regulatory framework. Yeah, mm. we are. I know we are still in the process here uh, for the for the gas and hydrogen decarbonized package. So. Uh, it's still a little bit unclear how the regulatory framework will look like. And for the investors, it, it's it's not great to have this uh, insecurity, let's just say. Um, so that's why a lot of them are waiting maybe a little bit to see what will be, you know, the final uh, regulatory framework. Um, of course, these projects are continuing to be developed, right, despite this insecurity. Um, and for some of them, they have great support. For example, in the Netherlands, you have great support from the, from the Dutch government, right? Yeah. So uh, that's kind of a, a great situation that the Netherlands is in. But for some other countries, um, it's a little bit lacking in terms of the development, even of, um, you know, hydrogen development plan, how it would look like, how will the infrastructure look like. So it depends, again, on the regional specificities. And indeed, the, the bottlenecks are still there. We are looking also via the Clean Hydrogen Alliance, um, specifically on the different corridors and what are the specific bottlenecks there. So really, 
in order to make sure that these corridors develop in a timely manner. And we'll also provide, I think, some recommendations how to really solve these issues. But of course, some of them are horizontal, right? I mean, certification, permitting, uh, definition for renewable hydrogen, mm-hmm. all of these keep being repeated in several conferences, several platforms. So they are still there, you know, but indeed this project, despite that, are trying to develop <laughs> and I think uh, successfully, but still, um, yeah, insecurity is there, I would say, for the for the project investors. Uh, very interesting what you say, and it is encouraging, uh, as you mentioned, that despite this relative uncertainty, shall we say, and these ongoing problems, that there are still investors willing to take a risk to uh, to take a chance on this sector, and indeed some governments that are going faster than at the European level in order to facilitate, um, a, let's say, perhaps a competitive advantage in their national context, perhaps, you know, betting on the development of the industry moving forward. So it's good to see that it's happening at different levels, progress is happening at different levels. And we're not just, you know, totally standing still waiting until all of the um, necessary pieces are in place to have a perfect clarity. So this has been super interesting to talk about the the map itself. I have a sort of more uh, wider question about the process. I was fortunate enough to be there for the launch of the the map at the NSOG annual conference this year. Um, and one of the things that was highlighted was that this was an all-female team, as far as I understand, that put together this project and were working together, I know, with the other agencies that you mentioned that also contributed data and information. Uh, at the FSR, we have recently just launched something called the Energy Base, which is this uh, sort of platform uh, repository for the information profiles of uh, different female experts in the space. How was your experience, if I could ask you, just uh, having this kind of uh, female collaboration project? I'm sure it wasn't explicitly intended like this, but nevertheless, it evolved in that way. And um, because it's, you know, everybody is familiar, it's not uh, a sector where uh, women are equally represented necessarily, uh, particularly in um, high positions associated with these kind of big projects. So I don't know if you wanted to take a moment to reflect a little bit on this. Sure. Uh, indeed, it wasn't intended. It's just evolved um, uh, throughout the months. But I would have to say it was very great collaboration with uh, two of my colleagues, Maria and Marika, who are both from the system development area. Uh, they have extensive knowledge and they have been working for ENSOC for a couple of years, uh, especially regarding uh, the TYNDP project collection exercises. Now they're working on the PCI, supporting the commission there in that process. So it was great collaboration, uh, very effective, I would have to say, and uh, very structured. So I can only say positives. Um, and indeed, I mean, for the future, we are now discussing uh, how to... Um, you know, provide further iterations of the map, how we can do it uh, together with the team and uh, hope to, you know, make the map live and uh, functioning for everybody and make it again more interesting with adding these demand and production projects. Okay, super. Well, then uh, I can only say thank you so much for joining me. It was really a pleasure to hear about this. As I mentioned, the the link for the map will be in the description of the podcast below. So I encourage people to go there and play around with it and yeah, check in in a few months time. I think you said maybe Q1 2023, you hope to have a new uh, iteration with with some more data. So it will be an evolving space. And yeah, thank you very much again, Patricia, for joining me. Really appreciate it. Thank you, James. And please do check the map. Thanks so much.